Welcome to the Radio Bible Course. We are studying Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians, and we are focusing on chapter 3, where Paul has a prayer. He started in verse 10 by writing, Praying earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all men as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. We are focusing today on verse 13. Paul has been talking about the priority that he wants God to fulfill in their lives, and that's love for one another. Now, that's the priority. Secondly, it's love for all men. The Bible doesn't teach us to love all men first. It teaches us that as children of God, under a father who has brought us into the faith and into the family, that we have a primary responsibility to family members. That means the Christians. But of course the Bible does not tell us to neglect others when we have the opportunity. That is very pointed instruction that we ought to do good to all men when we have opportunity. But you wouldn't be helping your neighbor before you helped your own family, of course. And that's the point here. And then Paul closed verse 12 by saying, As we do to you. He had this great love for the Thessalonians and for all the churches. Proof of that is the way he labored for them. But then in verse 13, he said, So that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father. We need to notice that he says, Establish your hearts. That refers to the whole inner life of the Christian. And the word unblameable doesn't mean sinless. It shows that Paul had standards for believers, and of course he did. Everywhere he went, he taught them how they ought to live because they are children of God. Now, you'll hear me discuss a great deal about the grace and faith themes of the Bible. That's how we come into the family of God. But once we are in the family of God, then we need to live like children of God. We reflect what the Father is like by the way we live. We are supposed to reflect Jesus Christ as a mirror does, so that the world can see how God has changed us and how we love like he loved. And without that, of course, there wouldn't be very much of a testimony at all except the testimony of lips. And talk can be very cheap. So Paul did have standards, and he knew that these Christians were accountable to God. That's the highest standard. He wasn't concerned about what men thought about them, but what God thought about them. Unblameable in holiness before our God. What does holiness mean? It's a word that speaks of being set apart to God. 
Christians are not merely to live right, but to consider themselves as belonging to the Father for his service. I like what Paul writes to the Corinthians. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Where does God live? He lives in the believer. Now, that is an amazing truth. He didn't say that of people in the Old Testament because they knew nothing about the indwelling spirit within them. But as a New Testament teaching, it was first announced the day before Jesus Christ was crucified that the spirit would not only be with them, but would be in them. And that didn't happen until Jesus was glorified. And ever since that time, everyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ to save them from sin has received the indwelling Spirit without even knowing it. This is a promise of God. He chooses to indwell those who trust in him. Now, if he lives in the body of the Christian, what does that make the Christian's body? It makes it the temple of God. And that's why a Christian ought to be pure. And now we come to the last clause of the last verse of chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. And it reads, At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, what does it mean? At the coming of our Lord with all his saints. One might expect that he could have written for all his saints, because that certainly is a popular teaching today, that Christ is coming for his saints. Literally, the Greek text reads, in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. Whenever people talk about the coming of Jesus Christ, they need to clarify what they mean by that. The Bible talks about two comings, and I might add, two comings to the earth. The first was at the birth of Jesus. This is when the Christ took on human flesh. He was born like a man, of a virgin, all fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. That's when God in the fullness of time sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Jesus left after his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. He ascended into heaven and promised that he would come back to the earth someday. And that was in keeping with all the Old Testament prophecies. But there is another coming. Paul refers to it more frequently, however, not as a coming, but as his presence or his appearance. Now, before Jesus comes back to rule on this earth and comes to the earth, Paul writes in this coming chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that Jesus is going to appear and come in the clouds. And Christians will be caught up together in the clouds to meet him in the air, and so they will ever thereafter be with the Lord wherever he is, including his return to the earth to rule on David's throne 
and to fulfill all those promises concerning the son of David who would reign on David's throne. That's a promise of God, and the scripture cannot be broken. It must be fulfilled, just as the prophecies of old about the birth of the Savior were fulfilled literally. So that awaits us. And by the way, it was the angel Gabriel who confirmed that Jesus, the son of Mary, would indeed be that one who would rule, because he not only promised her that she would conceive and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus, but that he would be great and would be called the Son of the Most High, and then he told her about the royal prophecies. He said, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will rule over the house of Jacob. But he never has ruled over the Jews. But he will. The scripture cannot be broken. And then the angel finally added, And of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, we need to recognize the difference then between Jesus Christ coming for his saints and coming with his saints. When he finally returns to set up his kingdom, we will all come with him. Now, when will we be presented unblameable? Well, that's what Paul writes about here. He wants these Christians to be unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So, when will we be presented unblameable? It must be far ahead of the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. And to explain that, we need to look at the word coming. That's the Greek word parousia. It means presence. At the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so translated in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, and 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. Now, we use this word coming in the sense of presence ourselves. So, we should not let the verse here or the translation confuse us. We often say to people, we are happy for your coming. Now, what do we mean by that? For their arrival or their presence. After Christians meet Christ in the air, the Bible tells us that he will take them into the presence of the Father. So with that idea in mind, the clause could read, at the presence of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Where? In heaven, when he takes Christians to be with him there. Now, this word presence is clarified by the Greek. The Greek has more than one meaning for a word. And in Second Corinthians 10.10, 10, Paul had said to the Corinthians that his letters, people said, were weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. That's the same word we have here for the coming or the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 12, he said, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. 
So here again we have that word, presence. So when we meet Christ in the air, as the next chapter will teach us, and we'll explain that later, we will be in his presence, and he will take us then into the Father's presence. And so this passage then could refer to all the saints going to his presence, not Christ coming to the earth. This, of course, would come later, after we are in heaven with him, and he comes back in the fullness of time, according to God's timetable, and establishes his kingdom. Then all nations, including Israel, will come and worship at his feet. All of this which we've been discussing today is part of Paul's prayer. In closing, I want to tell you about some of the things that are covered in our cassette course on understanding prayer. On these four tapes, you'll learn about the role of Scripture in prayer, how people prayed in the Old Testament, and what their basis for it was. What about the New Testament basis for prayer? What does it mean to pray in Christ's name? And what can we learn from the epistles about what to pray for? How about the will of God? How do you pray concerning it? And what does prayer mean? What are the major elements of prayer? All these subjects are covered in our cassette course on understanding prayer. Information on how to order cassette tapes on prayer is available in our Teaching Tapes brochure. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.